Welcome to the Faith in Media podcast and we're hosted by the organisations Christians in Media here right in the UK. So a huge thank you to everybody that has been subscribing, joining, listening in to our podcast since we have started. The comments, feedback have been so positive. So please continue to send those through. We love to hear from you. And of course, any pointers and tips that you would love to hear um, on our platform is going to be so welcome. We are here to create an environment that is safe um, and just engaging for everybody to engage with some really important topics about faith and media. I'm delighted to be joined today by the one and only Kat Wordsworth, the author of Let's Talk About Doubt. Welcome, Kat. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Kat, you have authored an incredible work. Um, and before I go into the details with the book and talking about yourself and your journey, I do like to have a little bit of fun um, and, and ask kind of some icebreaker questions before we really yeah. get into it. So kind of my one of my basic questions that to ask, and obviously it's probably a little bit expected um, because we're faith in media, but is there a go-to social media that is a preference to you? Twitter, Telegram, and even threads that seems to have kind of emerged onto kind of the scene. What is a go-to for you and why? It is Instagram for me at the minute. Um, yeah, I, I have a Facebook account, which I, I don't really use anymore. But yes, Instagram seems to be just such a supportive place. I've really found that it's not a stressful environment to be in. Well, maybe I've just found non-stressful parts of it. But yeah, I find it just a lovely place to be and I've met some lovely people so yeah Instagram Instagram is my place of choice at the minute and I haven't been brave enough to join threads and I am not I'm very risk averse so I'll see how it goes I feel that that really resonates with me I've seen it and I'm thought I've I've been quite suspicious as I'm very honest with you yeah. uh, like you my favorite platform is probably Instagram as well um, and it's lovely to hear that you have such a positive engagement with it I know that's not always the case for many people that know get involved with social media but to hear kind of that your experience has been kind of stress-free but it's been a really yeah. positive space helpful space to not just yourself but I know that you know what you're doing with your social media is is really uplifting a lot of people trying to navigate some really challenging times mm -hmm. tell us a little bit more about your platform in media with social media how did that kind of come about um, especially is I, I love that it's very it's very authentic. Uh, you've got some lovely, your, your branding is beautiful, really classy, really yeah. But at the same time, it's got a very down to earth. Uh, it's so engaging to the every person, so approachable. How did you get onto that platform and then start to use it for kind of what, what it sounds like what your mission has been behind um, the work that you've been doing and kind of the message that you have? So really, it's it's quite a ridiculous story, really. It, it was lockdown. Um, I think it was such a such an odd time, wasn't it? Really kind of changed our wavelengths on a lot of things. And I just, I reached a point where I needed to let the thoughts in my head out in some way. So we did the absolutely cliched thing of starting an anonymous Instagram account to um, just let some of my thoughts about faith and doubt kind of out in a cathartic way, you know, with no pressure, no intentions, I didn't let anybody know about it. It didn't have my name attached, anything like that. Just I needed to know that I wasn't the only person. I was aware that kind of Instagram was used by faith communities and kind of 
as a way of connecting with people who have similar experiences to you. So I thought, well, I'll give it a shot. I'll see if I can find anyone like me. And I did. Um, and it, it grew and grew. And yeah, it's it's been a huge surprise to me because I lived for years thinking that I was the only one, the only one to struggle with such, you know, enduring serious doubt. So to find find people constantly saying, oh, me too, me too, that's exactly how I feel. You know, it, Instagram isn't just a way that I've had to share my story. Instagram has actually been a part of the story. It's been a real um, catalyst in, yeah, releasing some of that shame that doubt had caught me in. Yeah, I, I love that. Um, and I love how you've actually mentioned that actually Instagram have become part of the story, part of the involvement of what's kind of like become kind of the the kind of impact of of where Mm -hmm. you've landed, you know, it's culminating in in the book is the ultimate kind of this is the place where you've you've kind of kept your challenge as as a like you said, cathartic process for others to view, observe, find themselves in it. Um, it was a brutally honest engagement, I think, on issues with doubt. I really enjoyed you know reading the book myself and and I feel like the way that you you have captured and it sounds like you've already received feedback like it captured so many people's that they've potentially been afraid to say or they're not sure themselves as to what does that really mean for me and what impact does that have and you've done it in such a way that that hits the heart of it in a way that I love the fact that you attack shame you don't allow it any room in your navigation of it tell us some more about just that process for me, it sounds like that's a really uh, persistent thread in your writings. Like this is not something to be shamed about. And I wondered if you could share a little bit more about that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that is it. That is the point of why I do all of what I do. I am an extremely reserved, really quite shy, non-confrontational person. You know, I'm not not comfortable doing any of these things. But I have to. I have to because... I was so caught in shame and fear and guilt and isolation with doubt for so long. I absolutely tore myself apart with it because I didn't know it was normal. I didn't know it was, you know, a common thing that people go through. And now that I've managed to get through to the other side of that by hearing other people's voices telling me that I wasn't alone I have to try and do the same for other people. You know, the book and the, the book is kind of fed out of Instagram. And really, I've written the book, as lots of authors do, I've written the book that I wanted to read myself. So it is, I think I say in the introduction, you know, it is brutally honest and quite uncomfortable for me to read back in parts. And I, I had to take the decision to kind of leave that stuff in because I find that so often when we are retelling our stories in hindsight we gloss over the most difficult parts and we gloss over our worst feelings and our worst things that are going on in our minds for the sake of positivity or for the sake of coming across better or for whatever reason and that's that's fine I think that's human nature but the impact that has on other people is that you think well maybe they did feel a little bit like me but nowhere near as bad as me you know I'm still worse than them so I'm still an outcast you know we have to know that we're not alone and that other people have been there before us so yes it is a raw and honest offering 
Um, but I hope, I just hope that it helps. Yeah, I hope that it helps release shame for people. That is exactly why I bother doing any of this, is to try and let people know that how it's normal and it is nothing to be um, ashamed of. Yeah, I, I love that. And I think from what you've described, the response to it shows you actually the community of that feeling of feeling doubt is so much wider than perhaps we've even potentially scratched the surface because people are afraid to talk about it. Why do you think issues of doubt in faith are, are kind of not normalized within churches or within the Christian space? I mean, that's a whole book in itself, isn't it? I think it's <laughs> it. <laughs> who best to ask that than someone who started writing about it? Yeah, yeah, maybe. Um, I suppose there's a there's a few factors on there. I think because we don't talk about it very much, that is a vicious cycle. So the more we don't talk about something, you know, silence absolutely breeds stigma. So if you don't hear people talking about it, then if you experience it, you don't talk about it. And then the next person that experiences it hasn't heard you talking about it, so they don't talk about it. And the cycle continues and continues. Um, and I think what all of that is driven by is just this this fear and suspicion of it but because we don't talk about it and we don't have this kind of communal wisdom that doubt can can offer us we see it with such suspicion such such worry that it's a failure that it's a failure of faith that it's weakness that it's going to mean that we leave or completely abandon all faith in god we've got really kind of yeah, quite extreme, extreme places that our minds jump to when we hear the kind of word association with the word doubt can go straight to kind of not being a Christian anymore. Um, and I think as long as we don't talk about it, that, that kind of relationship with doubt and fear is going to persist. Um, so yeah, that's why as someone that is a Christian, but struggles with doubt, that is why I try to speak as loudly as I can about it. Yeah, I love that even in I think in your explorations within the book there is still for me it's it's kind of built on a canvas that is still very faith-filled and I know that might sound really interesting but that was something that really just stood out for me all the way and I think one particular section you speak about sometimes we actually have a we have a disregard that there are potentially time lapses between say the verses within the star the psalms that really delve deeply into despair, into doubt, into questioning. Mm -hmm. um, and then at the end of that same verse, maybe three or four stanzas down, a very long psalm, we see that faith is restored and an acknowledgement of God is back in place again. Or, you know, even some of the other biblical narratives, I, I think of Joseph, how many times yeah. he faced incredible challenges and difficulty. And yet absolutely, we forget, yes. as looking in hindsight, we, we forget there are yeah. time lapses here. We don't know what that yeah. process was like. And, and it's interesting. So biblically speaking, there is clearly scope where doubt potentially is actually amplified. But our interpretation of it here in this Western world, I think is a lot like what you explore in terms of we see it as some form of failure and doubt. Is there something to be said about, is that a cultural interpretation of doubt here? Or where do you think that comes from? Because I don't think that, biblically speaking, doubt is actually someone that's a stranger at the table, if that makes sense, amongst, yeah. you know, versus uh, biblical figures, etc. What are your thoughts on that? 
I mean, it, this comes with all the, ca- the caveats that, you know, I'm, I'm not a theologian, not a Bible scholar, not a church leader, all of that. I think what I have observed as playing a part in this is that we're desperate to draw people in. You know, we're desperate to build up our church numbers, build up our communities and kind of demonstrate to people that uh, the blessing that becoming a Christian can offer to people. And I think we just get a bit confused about where doubt can fit into that narrative. Um, It doesn't quite fit in the, oh, become a Christian and your life will be transformed kind of promise that we quite often offer, which is true, but obviously it isn't as black and white as that. You know, there's a lot of nuance. Becoming a Christian isn't, you know, a fairy tale passport to a, you know, happy ending with magical, yeah, whatever. Um, And I just think that's very difficult to navigate, you know, with a lot of life. We exist a lot of the time in the grey, not in the clearly defined happy or sad. A lot of life is in between and a bit of both. And I think when that kind of translates into church um, situations, um, it's it's difficult to draw people in while also saying you might still really struggle. Um, which I think also, leading back to what you said about the Psalms, I think that all feeds into the same thing. So I think with, with the Psalms in the book, I'd, I'd put that in because one of the most common things you get told if you if you tell someone that you're struggling with doubt or if you Google it is, well, have you tried reading the Psalms? People struggle in there, so maybe that can help you. And of course that's true. You know, I, th- I think it's Psalm 88 is the, the one that doesn't end happily. And the number of times I've read that Psalm, yeah, I think my Bible opens the page probably that offers me huge comfort and huge solace and of course the other bits do too but why people tell you to read them is that they hope that you'll quickly move on to the ending and quickly get over whatever it is that you're struggling with and get to the praise bit and that pressure can feel quite a lot and I, I know from other people that opening up and telling people about your doubt to then be told, well, that's all right if you fix it really quickly, you know, just just get on with it and, and sort yourself out as quick as you can because that's what they did in the Psalms. And I think that's why I included it because it's just this, this idea that, no, you know, it takes time. It can't be rushed. It has to have integrity. It has to have honesty. You can't hide anything from even yourself to try and force yourself through it quickly. Um. Yeah, it's, it can be really difficult. The conversations can be really challenging about doubt. And that's why I talk about it quite a lot in the book about what things are helpful to say. So, yeah. Yeah, and, and I've, I've one really appreciated that approach. And I think from the tone of how you describe that and explore that in your book, it's almost an embrace of that tension. Mm-hmm. And like, we need to embrace that there are sometimes processes to this that are not yeah. going to necessarily have a five-point plan guideline it's not it's just it's not even a self-help kind of thing you know and watching I think there's such a diverse range of experiences within both the Psalms and I think even mentioned figures like Job who've got massive time lapses and also friends that try to help him during is a devastating time you know there is process there that is not one size that fits all and getting to a place that 
those that tend to be in the community of those experiencing doubt or we are the close confidants of those in spaces of doubt we have our part to play too um and, and it i think to, to kind of avoid kind of falling into the trap where like it's not a contagious disease that now automatically things are all going to fall apart we have our part to play and it's, it's a good place to be it's part of this tension and also i think probably an element of you know we can trust that also god is also good with that because there's many examples where it shows us that he's not afraid of those moments these are human complexities and they don't phase him in the way that it's phasing us right now as well yeah 100 percent. that was a real turning point for me was actually just looking at how jesus responded to any admission of doubt in the gospels so i think thomas is obviously the the famous one lord Edward, no that's the father sorry with needing to touch Jesus' hands. And I think the impression that you get from sometimes being in Christian communities or if you've had some bad conversations about doubt, you would expect Jesus to react with kind of absolute fear and disgust and anger at this admission of doubt. You know, how dare you? I'm right, I'm stood right in front of you and you're daring to say this. That is not his response. He literally moves closer to allow Thomas to touch him. And then with the father with the ill child who, again, right to Jesus' face, says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. This child is still healed. You know, as much as I wish there was more of a record of what was said next in the Gospels, it is still an act of compassion and healing. Um, it, and it's not, it's not what we sometimes expect, I think. It's not the... It's not the response we have to ourselves sometimes. We, you know, I beat myself up about it. I didn't show myself compassion and love. I was disgusted with myself and couldn't believe I could get rid of these doubts and did everything I could to try and get rid of them. So, yeah, reading those accounts and letting them sink in really just allowed the kind of the pressure, the kind of the building pressure of, oh, oh, maybe I'm going to be absolutely condemned because of this and, you know, God's not going to look at me or hear me or even notice me because I'm thinking these things. So that, yeah, that was a huge, huge turning point for me. And you mentioned as well that even during this, you know, there's been some real low points in the book where you speak so candidly about what that felt like, how that was experienced by you, and yet you never left the church, you never left community what was it that you felt that kind of kept you there during this this time of, of challenge? Yeah, but it's a funny one in hindsight. I can't quite believe I didn't leave church at some point. Um, and yeah, at points it wasn't a healthy place for me to be because what I was doing was going every week hoping that something would happen that would make it all click into place. You know, I was going with like such hope and then having my heart broken every week when nothing miraculous dropped out of the sky that proved things to me but i think actually what kept me going was friends and community and i think that that's an advert for church isn't it that even when i was really struggling with it it was the deep relationships that i formed with people there that yeah kept kept me going and still sometimes now that is that is the main thing. I, I go to be with these people who know everything about me and still appear to like me. So, yeah, that is that is what church is to me, is, you know, 
feeling safe in the company of these people and knowing that I'm still welcomed and I'm still included, even if I'm completely honest about things. Since the publication of your book and really seeing, I don't know if they were all been aware to like the degrees of what you were going through until reading your book, like what's been the response since that time from these people that they probably haven't have underestimated the level of anchorage they provided for you during that time. <laughs> it's a really interesting one. I'd say the people that have found it the hardest to read are the people that are closest to me. Um, even though, you know, I had been honest about things my way of expressing myself is writing and I let myself be completely honest when I'm writing in a way that I'm probably not always when I'm speaking so yeah I think I mean I've had one friend who has had to stop reading it for a while and put it down because she was just so heartbroken that she wasn't fully aware and yeah that does make me feel a bit bad as well because obviously I didn't tell some people about it but that wasn't ever a reflection on them that was just shame lying to me so yeah it's it's been a really fascinating one that yeah the people that are closest to me have found it hardest to read and the people that I don't know have found it the most kind of encouraging and inspiring but I suppose of course your family and your friends are always gonna think oh goodness we didn't know and we could have we could have helped if you'd let us and yes well I'm telling you now you know, I'm I'm reconciling it all and trying to hear it all now. So here I am. This is me in a book form. So yeah, it's been an interesting run. I, I love that so much. And and you mentioned a bit earlier about, you know, this this was such a huge step for you to put this verse in writing for yourself. Then getting to the place where like, okay, I'm gonna put it in wide and open view for yeah. the general public. Tell us, how did that feel for you? And and just seeing that publication come into practice this year when the book was released. I mean, I'm supposed to say it was all magical and a dream come true, aren't I? You don't have to at all. <laughs> absolutely terrifying. Um, absolutely terrifying. I think my journey to publication was not the norm. So I didn't write the book with the intention of anyone ever reading it. Really? And no, no. And um, it was a way for me to to work it all out. And you know, like Instagram was part of the process. The actual writing of the book formed part of the book. Writing it created the ending in a way. It was my way to process it all. And by writing it out and you know making it readable giving it an order, giving it structure, I was able to take a step back and kind of assess what had been happening. So to then kind of take that and be like, I'm willing to let anybody in the world read this, I think was just a real, real sign that the shame had started to dissipate. This is something that I kept secret from my closest friends and family for over a decade now I can't I can't overestimate how much I tried to keep this absolutely secret and now there's a book about it um so something something has shifted something 
really important has shifted within my heart and within my mind. And that, yeah, that, that has to be God, doesn't it? Um, for me to be willing to talk about it. And I genuinely don't mind talking about it. I don't feel embarrassed. I'm willing to admit to anything. I think once you've been through that shame and got to the other side of it, there's just this huge freedom that you can really, I can say what I want now. I, I just have to be honest with myself. I can't, I can't bear anything that isn't complete honesty because I know the impact it can have on me. So it's, it's an absolutely ridiculous story, really. I think, and I still pinch myself that there's a book about it all. But yes, it exists. And again, the reason is because I hope it helps other people. For sure. I, and I can see that. And also, if I, I love how you mentioned, and I think many will resonate with that process where the person that you see in person and interact with is it's not a different person but it's one layer but the depths of it you find easier to articulate yeah. through your writing what i love is that you've put yourself in this brilliant position of if you've got any further questions please refer to the book and it will all explain itself that you will never have to go through trying to explain yeah I, I was just like, this is a very smart move. I really find myself kind of literally quoting from it without people realizing that's what they're doing. Wow. Once I've once I've formed it into words, that is my opinion, and that's what my mind goes back to is is how I how I've expressed that. So yeah, you want to get to know me, read my book. Yeah, obviously, yeah. it's so, a very like, marketing strategy. <laughs> it is. And also, I think like it's it's demonstrative in in terms of I know that you you mentioned you don't see yourself as a theologian or you're not here to tell people the directions, but what you have done is demonstrate tools that people in you and effective tools, and yeah. many will have come through you know different kind of um, there's been lots of I think you know pointers to there's something about when you write down your thoughts we hear this about journaling and this is a form yeah. of therapy and. There is something about writing it down. If anything, the written word in in the holy book that we you know yeah. observe so much in our Christian faith, there is some more emphasis on the written word itself, and yet that's still a method for us to engage with probably some of the deepest depths of who we are and really formulate, like you say, where am I in this? Because being insular in the mental health space can also lead us down different paths. We don't always get us the kind of structure and kind of like. I feel a bit settled that I really know where I am. So now I know what to do next. And using that forum of writing, I think is so underestimated. Would you encourage that as a kind of form for, for others who navigate, you know, challenging spaces, even if it's not that, but maybe other things? And Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously everyone's different. I've got a friend who can't bear writing and are kind of external verbal processes. But for people who can connect with writing, I think it offers you the gift of perspective because you have to unless you're kind of writing a stream of consciousness which I suppose some people that is a different kind of tool isn't it but you have to kind of pause and consider and reflect and we don't often allow ourselves that time in life and if you can make time to kind of sit back and think actually how am I and what am I thinking about this thing if I give myself a chance to consider it? And the other thing about writing is if you're doing it on a computer or even if you've got, you know, a rubber, is you get to go back 
and you get to edit and refine and clarify and really pick away until you work out exactly what it is. And I think it was that process of kind of writing and then rereading it and then tweaking it a bit that really helped me to start thinking, okay, this is what I think. And that was underneath that hiding and I didn't realise that before. But writing four pages to get to one sentence has helped me understand and now I can just keep that one sentence and delete the rest because that was only there to get me to this. So yeah, it's it's a real... Writing's a real gift. Um, yeah, I'm very grateful for it. We live in an age where there is just so much potential for destruction and to consume so loud, right? Like, and 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 like you said, I think many people will also resonate. Like you said, it was during lockdown where actually we don't have the luxury to be distracted by going into work or like the constant expectation of you know interacting with lots of people outside our internal selves. For the first time, we were stuck with four walls and our thoughts because there was nowhere else to go. And that really was a breaking point for people, you know? It was a, it was a sanity move um, because I ended up, I am not a teacher. I walk into a school and I get a headache almost instantly. And suddenly I found myself homeschooling children whose kind of year three English grammar was far oh, harder than anything I've ever learned. And, oh, it was just, yeah. And so I was doing that in the mornings trying to cram in all of my work hours in the afternoon and then by the evening I was just thinking I'm going to lose myself here if I don't have something for me a project for me um and I think yes yeah, something about that time did just add a bit of depth and introspection to all of our lives it kind of yeah it was it was hard wasn't it and it made us really think about things so I think yeah it that was that was what pushed me to it homeschooling <laughs> yeah. I respect that I, I, I really do I want to go back just a little bit to what we were speaking about you know, that social media in terms of Instagram is really the starting point for you about this and you know a lot of you know media you know it, it, it can be a tricky place to navigate um, yours sounds like has been a really positive how did you find yourself not getting sucked into uh, you know comparison because there's a lot of other faith type pages in instagram yeah. that are very much about yeah should i say probably would be like fuel on the fire to someone navigating doubt and questions when it appears that things are just potentially overly sensational or they're, they're not seeing the full picture they're seeing an end result that's not to say that what they're experiencing what they're sharing is not true at all but it's more to do with that is not helpful necessary to someone like what you were going through is like, how do I find what they're talking about for myself? And I can't seem to grasp that. How did you navigate that space? And how would you encourage others yeah. kind of to navigate that space too? Because I think that's quite a big element of today's living. I think the kind of baseline is that when you're vulnerable, so when you're struggling with doubt or anything, and you're looking elsewhere for kind of help with it, we're like sponges, aren't we? We're very open to taking stuff in, especially stuff that isn't helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Instagram or all social media 
it's got it's got the extremes of life on there, hasn't it? Whatever whatever you think you're gonna find, you'll find it a million times worse and a million times better, I think, in Ryan's. <laughs> yes. And I think I can't pretend that I've always had a good relationship with Instagram and I I suppose what I mean is that the people I've found on there have been lovely. My own interaction with it has been yeah, it's a, it's a continual work in progress to start with. When it was all anonymous, I didn't feel any kind of pressure. As soon as I kind of tried, decided to go for the book and then, oh, you have to kind of prove you've got an audience and all of that stuff. As soon as that entered in, yeah, it became a lot harder because I started to, yeah, comparison. Comparison got in because a lot of Instagram or a lot of the spheres I'm in is people like me trying to build platforms to get publishers to notice you to write books. So there's a lot of people putting their absolute hearts on the line out there in order to build a platform to to get to get written, to get published. And can be at, that can make it supportive because there's a lot of people going through what you're going through, but it can also make it, you know, yeah. Wrath with comparison and jealousy. Um I think for me I'm never going to be someone that is able to post every day and put my face all over my stories every day or have, you know, a content schedule. I just, I can't, can't maintain that. And if I try to maintain that and fail, then yeah, that, that would be damaging. So I think I just have to do what I'm able to do, which doesn't feel like very much sometimes, but it has to have integrity. I can't post about my experience with doubt for the sake of it. I just I can't allow myself to do that because the content I'm putting out there is is me, is my deepest thoughts and worries and questions. And I, I don't really want to kind of, I don't know quite what the right word is, ironic for an author, and <laughs> I don't want to kind of be unauthentic in any way. Oh, plan, you remember the word I meant. Oh, I'm written ten minutes. I'm exploit. That's the one. The right one. So exploit myself. Um, yeah, for the sake of numbers. I'm not. It has to be sustainable for me. Um, so yes, I'm not. Definitely not one to follow. If you want a kind of exemplar of how to use social media, but I do what I can, and it seems to it seems to connect. It seems. I really love what you said there um, and it was actually going to be one of my questions is how would you advise our Christians in media community about you know what does it mean to have integrity within the media those that are launching into platforms whether it's social media that's a starting point for them or their creatives or in any other platform that they find themselves like what does integrity look like particularly as a as a believer and I love that you mentioned that's like you need to know potentially what are your intentions like you said yeah. your life is what you're putting in this yeah. this is it is effectively almost a testimony if we're going to use Christian language about it. Yeah, and these are the things that draw people. The people are looking for something real. It can't be yeah. something that isn't. Um, so I really appreciate you kind of amplifying, like, for me, this is what integrity looks like. And we do have to take, I think, that very close look in the mirror and evaluate what does that then therefore look like for me in kind of my navigation of this space. Um, I would say, like, what is there kind of like some form of, you know, advice maybe you would share for others in Christians and media in terms of are there boundaries and safeguards we yeah. can put in place as to how to navigate that, do you think? 
yeah i mean boundaries was what i was going to talk about next i think mm. you'd you have to be really careful because social media like kids video games like apps they want you to stay on they will want you to be on there that is how they make money they want you to see ads and they're designed to draw you in and keep you scrolling so it goes back to the things that we all know we should do but struggle to do like setting time limits you know screen limits on your actual phone but also saying to yourself this is my cutoff point in the day i'm not going to look at it past that time yeah i'm not going to look at it first thing in the morning i'm gonna leave my phone downstairs those really really sensible things that we all don't do um obviously that's that's a different kind of scenario if what you're doing is professional or your job um but it's just i think i really liked what you said about it comes down to remembering why you're doing what you're doing you're not you're not there to become a celebrity and you're not there to build a massive platform necessarily you're there to reach people with your message whether that's one person who really needs to hear it or ten thousand people that really need to hear it and i think the other thing that we can solve to forget is i don't know whether this is maybe an awkward point to make but kind of instagram isn't the whole world you know it's not the be all and end all other people exist it is, it is remembering the scope of what you're doing and remembering to connect your work to the outside world as, as well and thinking well, maybe if i reach that person on instagram they'll then tell they'll tell their church on sunday your message can kind of spread in ways that you weren't prepared for and it all comes back to what you're actually giving what you're presenting and if that has integrity and honesty and value and is relatable to people then that is the best that you can offer people i think yeah i think that's just so encouraging and, and such wise words there and and this will be my final question back to you someone who has taken the the brave step to you know set a platform and discuss and hold court on a subject that people are not comfortable to do mm-hmm. and what it's done for you from when you started the work of the book to now today like do you see changes in yourself what has this done for you in your journey i mean i feel like i've covered the shame element but yeah it's, it's brilliant, brilliant. i think kind of the flip side of that is that as your shame decreases your confidence and your your trust in your own opinions and your kind of your self-forgiveness I don't think that's really a phrase, but you know what I mean. It it's allowed me to have compassion for myself, to think I'm not alone in this. I'm not an oddity. I'm not the only one doing this. Yeah. You know, community and connection is hugely important, isn't it? That come back to what I said about church. Yeah. And of relationships with people that you can build through whatever means can be life changing. And I think yeah, that is that has been what Instagram has offered me. I love that so much. Kat, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you so much for sharing your story, your work, 
and just your amazing opinions. They are absolutely authentic and I've enjoyed every single morsel of it. Um, and please, before you go, tell us where can people find and follow your work? Yeah, so I am on Instagram at about underscore doubt and my book can classic line isn't it it can be bought where books are sold i think it is on amazon but if you prefer not amazon it can be ordered in on the websites of waterstones and wh smith it's on eden so yeah if, if you google it it comes up yeah brilliant thank you so much cats and all the best for your future endeavors it's been an absolute privilege to have you thank you so much and hope we'll get to chat to you once again soon take thank care thank you